Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. This episode features themes of domestic violence, drug abuse, thoughts of suicide, and sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. I felt guilty that I couldn't, you know, warn, warn people. Of course. And that's why, you know, we, there needs to be something that warns women. You know, there, there, some, there are some websites. Uh, there needs to be, you know, laws against stalking. <laughs> there needs to be, you know, more things in place where, where women can, can be warned. This is Method and Madness, a dive into Dirty John with Tanya Sells Bales. I'm your host, Dawn Gandhi. The body was dismembered. A ransom note was discovered. Hiker stumbled upon the nude body of a local... Police are looking into the brutal slaying of a young woman. There may be a clue in a released 911 call from... The victim said she was stalked for five years. Held captive inside a storage container. It was a twisted mix of obsession and revenge. No weapon has been located. Shot while asleep in their beds. Method. And madness. Tanya was at work when she saw a notification come through on her cell phone. She had an email from her ex-husband's sister. The subject of that email? John was killed. That's all it said, and that's all I knew. And immediately, my whole body starts shaking. And I actually wish if somebody could tell me, was it physically shaking on the outside? (laughs) Because I felt like... Uh, uh, you know, um, an earthquake, honestly. I had that immediate visceral emotion. My name is Tanya Bales. I am a first and foremost, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a nurse anesthetist uh, by trade for 30 years. And I was married to the infamous Dirty John Meehan. I was his first wife. And that's probably what I'm most known for. You've heard one side of the story from Deborah and Tara Newell, and today we'll hear from Dirty John's first wife, Tanya, and more shocking revelations will be coming. I really enjoyed speaking with Tanya. She's articulate, kind, and a great mom, and she knew John Meehan better than anyone. At the same time, did anyone ever really know Dirty John? It's like the more we get to know him, the more questions pop up. It's an onion with infinite layers. One answered question leads to more unanswered ones. And the question of whether John ever actually cared for anyone or why he was who he was. We'll get into that today. We've talked a lot about coercive control, how a predator lures their prey, how they love bomb, disarm their victim, data mining, storing information about their victim so they can use it against them later, gaslighting, making their victim doubt their own sanity, their own reality, how the predator replaces your thoughts with their own. Dirty John Meehan had perfected this craft, and in the last episode, it was revealed that criminal behavior analyst Laura Richards assessed John Meehan as a psychopath. 
And we've seen how the women he terrorized were often blamed for being his victim. Something that I'm sure it was Laura Richards that, um, that taught me is that the psychopath can see you. You know, we can't necessarily, I mean, I think some people have really good radars for whatever reason, education, experience, uh, but um, some of us don't have such good radar, especially when it comes to love, you know, and, um, you know, she taught me that, you know, you wouldn't have been able to see what he was doing and that he was a psychopath, but he would know in five minutes that you were somebody that he could keep keep the keep rolling on because of my responses and and how I acted and that's who they're looking for and that's who they're choosing because anybody with a radar he's going to see that you got your radar up that you've asked a question that he didn't like and pass on you right find the next one and so I was a perfect specimen for him you passed this test that you didn't even know you were taking no I usually score high on tests. <laughs> I really failed that one. Tanya and I, during our conversation, spoke about the hypothetical book that Tanya could write on John, but that before August of 2016, she could only guess how the story, the book, would end. I knew something big was going to happen one day, but I never, if I had to finish the book before the story was over and come up with some, come up with some endings to this story out of my head, I guess I always thought it was going to be a male on male. Like he was going to offend a woman, a daughter, a sister, and that a male in that family would have enough, take him out, uh, I never imagined that this a tiny little girl in an attack knife fight by him would win and the and the chances of her winning that were probably 1%. Yeah. She didn't even know that there was going to be a fight that day. Today we'll discover what many of the chapters of that book entailed and how the book eventually came to its conclusion, one that Tanya never thought would be written. And further, how even after John died, she discovered the biggest shock, something that didn't come out until 2020. Tanya grew up in Dayton, Ohio, loved to study, and became a nurse anesthetist. She met John Meehan at a bar in the late 80s. He was attentive and charming, but red flags? Well, Back then, that wasn't part of our daily conversations, not like it is today. And even when Tanya got a phone call in those early days, John was able to talk his way out of accountability. A woman that John had apparently been seeing had called and told Tanya about the affair, but he was able to lie his way out of it. I mean, we all know what red flags are now. In 1988, as a 23-year-old girl, and back then, before the internet blew every topic and every everything up, and Dr. Phil came on, none of us knew what that meant. But I do think that there were things that were at least warnings and yellow <laughs> that um, I definitely, um, you know, questioned about about some things about John. You know that 
maybe came to my gut. Um, like what? So, you know, things about, you know, his family, his family life, um, his, his age, his, his, you know, the night I met him, I snatched his driver's license, uh, playfully out of his hand when he was ordering a drink and we'd already discussed our age and it had a different date on it. And, you know, he said, well, you know, I changed my driver's license to get alcohol in college. And I thought, well, I know lots of people that had done that. And honestly, I mean, right over my head, that was it because I, I didn't have any reason to think someone meeting me for the first time would be lying about their age. Why would, it made no sense that someone would lower their age by five years. Right. Right. My brain couldn't, couldn't even take that to a place other than the reason that he gave. And, you know, just, uh, you know, the reasons that he gave as to why, you know, he wasn't going to invite his family. But, you know, back then, when he's telling me that he doesn't come from this good family, that his parents are divorced, that they don't get along, that they're selfish, that they might ruin our wedding. And, and all of the things he told me about his childhood, I felt sad for him, first of all, because that's the opposite of what I had been raised. And I thought, wow, look at, look at what you've done. Look what you've overcome. The two got married in 1990 and went on to have what Tanya describes as a pretty uneventful marriage. I thought John and I had a very, you know, normal, um, I would call it an even keel marriage. There weren't a lot of super highs. There weren't really any lows. We didn't fight. Uh, we both were just two very busy, uh, hardworking, dedicated uh, students and professionals, which, um, you know, caused us to spend a fair amount of time apart, you know, either studying or, um, you know, being in school or working hard. Um, and I thought I had a good marriage. I thought I was married to a normal, honest person and that we were doing all the normal things that, you know, newlyweds do. We, you know, I cooked dinner, we went to the movies, we um, just really had a normal life. We had purchased our first home and lived in the same town as my parents and things seemed very normal, I think, to me and to everyone looking on. Tanya was kept far away from John's family. Do you think that was because he was afraid the curtain would be pulled back on who he really was or was it something else? I think there was no way that I could spend any quality time with them, with him having altered his name and his birth date and having had an arrest that I didn't know about. Um, there just was no way that we could have had Thanksgiving together. Something would have come, <laughs> something would have been exposed and, 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 and come up. So I, I, it wasn't possible in his eyes. Well, he changed his name long before he met me. He had altered his birth date long before he met me. Those were not tactics just to get into a relationship with me. We had evidence that he had done that uh, years before. And, um, you know, his family thinks that because uh, he was asked to leave the state of California in some sort of, uh, you know, plea deal, and he had come back to California that maybe he had altered it for that reason so that okay. he couldn't be tracked. His record was expunged. 
Um, that was proven to me by the by the police and the detectives. So John gave multiple reasons as to why, depending on who he was talking to, as to why he had changed his age and his name. In Tanya's podcast, The First Wife, it's mentioned that a friend of hers, Jane, had sensed something about John. Did Jane ever bring that up to you at the time? No. Um, and I, as Jane explained, having a feeling isn't enough to go to your friend <laughs> and say, I've just got a bad feeling about him, you know? And again, 1988, 1989, 90, we didn't have the methods, even if, even if she wanted to, I mean, she was a poor anesthesia student. She wasn't about to spend hundreds of dollars on a private eye or a, a background check. I don't even know what background checks were like back then. Um, so no, no one said anything. And there were multiple opportunities for several people throughout my marriage to come to me to say something. And, and they didn't. And honestly, I understand how hard that would have been. I've, I've been in a similar situation at one time and I didn't say anything either. We briefly discussed Tanya's divorce in the first episode of this miniseries, how it seemed to come out of nowhere. I was interested in hearing about Tanya's perspective on that. I mean, really, I was interested in everything Tanya had to say. So I didn't know he had filed for divorce. The papers came to him, but it came from an attorney and he was in Michigan. So I opened the envelope. And there were the full divorce papers, and I was devastated and sick. And then I, you know, tried to find him and ended up talking to his boss, um, who I had known. I had actually worked with him. And he, honestly, it was one of the best things that ever happened because then he actually eventually turned in his guy card and, and told me everything that was going on in Michigan. What was going on in Michigan was John had a girlfriend, a highly paid physician, and it's probable that he'd gotten excited by that lifestyle. Tanya speculates that maybe things got stale for John. The married life had gotten old. She and John had two small children, their oldest, Emily, born in 1995, and Abigail, born in 1999, was just an infant at this time. And now, navigating a divorce, Tanya had to also figure out custody. But to her dismay, when John would have his visits with the girls, they would return home dirty. It wasn't just the lack of cleanliness that Tanya was concerned about. If you remember, after John filed for divorce, Tanya had uncovered his drug addiction after finding a syringe in a suitcase. She'd called John's mother and found out that he had a criminal record in California. Even armed with that info, Tanya still had to share custody with him while going through all the red tape. It was painful, not something she ever dreamed she'd go through while wondering what kind of people John might be surrounding himself with while taking care of Emily and Abigail. Was he doing drugs? Was he nodding off to sleep while they were in his care? She was unsure when the drug addiction began. She certainly didn't see it during their marriage. She'd heard from one of John's friends that in the early 80s, John had been more interested in earning money from selling than in actually using. She saw a couple of signs where he seemed to fall asleep at random times, but 
It was often after a long day of work. And the more Tanya uncovered, the more she worked with the police, the more the other side of John would come out. So those were the types of protection issues. And also, you know, just protecting them that I wanted full custody. I wanted to be the person I felt most qualified to make decisions for them. And so, you know, he knew, you know, once I reported him, uh, went to the police and he knew that he knew that the way to me to get me back uh, was either through my reputation uh, or the children. And so then he basically weaponized all that against me, you know, just dragged me into court constantly, you know, for this, for that, change this, change that, you know, um, and that, that period of my life was total hell. And the court system, they fight very hard for both relationships. And, you know, towards the beginning of that, I didn't have necessarily a lot of proof, as you would say. We even had drug screens. Um, and John said that the drugs were mine that I found. And so we both had drug screens and they both came back negative. They were hair drug screens because the drug screens don't test for fentanyl or Versed. <laughs> it took 18 months to get divorced from him. And then he went to jail and then, then the custody, um, and, and visitation and all that, those, those years were probably the absolute worst. I, I lost a ton of weight. I was nauseous a lot of the time, but, you know, I never missed a day of work. I took care of my kids and I became my own advocate and, and, and was in for the fight of my life against him, you know, kept praying for peace. You know, I didn't know what peace was going to look like for me. And honestly, I mean, in my podcast, and of course, I never even told my parents that they heard it for the first time in the podcast that actually suicide crossed my mind. It wasn't that I wanted to die. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live being scared of him and fighting him the rest of my life. That was no way to live. The divorce was finalized in December of 2001. John was harassing Tanya, enraged that someone had gone to the board and gotten his nursing license suspended, that the police were doing an investigation into him. So he took to those tactics we're so familiar with now and threatened her with emails, voicemails. He even tried to put a hit out on Tanya. And then John went to jail, and Tanya had to break that news to her daughters. Abigail, still very young, didn't grasp the full reality of that, and Emily innocently asked if her daddy would be okay. Through counseling and family support, Tanya and the girls got through those days, and there was a little bit of peace knowing John was locked away, but he'd eventually be out, and what would those days look like? John was awarded supervised visitation by the court, and it was during one of those court appearances in 2005 that was the last time Tanya would ever have to be in his presence. As it turned out, he only did those supervised visits three or four times, and that would be the last Emily and Abigail saw their dad. I asked Tanya if John ever came through and did right by his girls. He, um, you know, even when we were... Uh, sharing parenting before he went to prison. Uh, he constantly was 
changing jobs, calling me, I'm going to be late. Um, I'm going to drop them off early. He would leave them at the babysitters. He's very little time with them and he would drop them off at the babysitters. He's leaving them with girlfriends. He was always putting his needs and his wants and his desires before his children. So I would say no. You might say Tanya was married to one of the most dishonest people possible, but she did find happiness with one of the most honest, loyal, protective people, her husband, Augie. He raised Tanya's daughters with her and supported her through all of the terror brought on by John Meehan. And it was Augie's presence that got John to back off, to finally stop harassing Tanya. The tough guy persona that we saw in John later, in the days where he was married to Deborah Newell, well, that side didn't really come out when he was with Tanya. It's like he evolved over the years as he became more addicted and as he honed his craft more, that craft of manipulation and coercive control. Tanya said she never had a moment where she felt truly at peace That the uncertainty of what John was capable of, all those threats that always lingered, it may have gotten a little easier with John living in California or when Tanya moved to a gated community in Georgia, but there was never truly peace when John Meehan was alive. Over the next several years, Tanya was fortunate enough that Detective Denny Lukin would keep her up to date on John's comings and goings. So in 2014, when John was married to Deborah, I was curious, did Tanya know about it? Turned out, Detective Lukin had filled her in. John had remarried and that one of the daughters called him around Thanksgiving and that John had threatened to kill her. And I was like, what, what? Uh, And I was shocked. I was just like, I just, I guess I thought John would never marry again. I guess I didn't see him as the marrying type after what I'd been through. Like his game is a lot shorter than a marriage. So, um, and of course, then I had to process all that. And he went away basically. And then, you know, then I always had this sick feeling that when he wasn't bothering me, he probably was distracted with another woman. And, and then I would feel for these women that I didn't even know. Like, I wish I could warn you. I wish I could tell you what's going to happen because it's going to happen. But to do so, even with knowing his wife and his wife's name, you know, I would have loved to pick up the phone and help her, you know, work through that. But I knew what that would mean for me, right? That, that would mean he's coming back for me. It was shortly after the news that John was remarried that he tweeted out something to his daughter, Emily. Tanya described it as a carrot, a vague tweet where he tried to get Emily to contact him, which... At the advice of John's sister, she didn't. It would just be opening a can of worms. I had a, you know, a frank conversation with Emily. I said, you know, the decision is yours to make. But once you open this can, you know, I don't know what's what it's going to be like. And so, and I told her that Donna said he is not 
any better or any nicer, not doing the right things. And so, but you know, in the end, it's your decision. So she decided not to call him. And so we don't know what that tweet was all about. And then in 2016, Tanya found herself breaking the news to her daughters that their father was dead. Um, and then I told them, you know, what happened. And Emily, she like laughed, like how absurd, how ridiculous. And, and, and she said, you know, I thought you were going to tell me you had cancer or Nana was dying or, you know, she had something really bad formulated already in those first few seconds. So the fact that her father who had disappointed her, her whole life, that this is how it ends. Uh, that was her reaction. And then Abby's bawling, crying, because now she knows she'll never have any closure with the father that she didn't know. And then, you know, their interaction, one's mad at the other for <laughs> how can you not, how can you be laughing? Why are you crying? It was kind of, I mean, it wasn't too hot of a mess, but it was kind of a hot mess, but you know, I guess it should be. And uh, so that's how that day went. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just something I had to do, and I hope I did it the right way because that's a day no one's ever going to forget. I'm sure they remember every word I said. Emily and Abigail are doing great. Tanya and Augie have raised two women who are kind and compassionate. Emily, a labor and delivery nurse, and Abigail, finishing her degree in clinical psychology. They both look forward to being moms and jokingly refer to themselves as the dirty daughters from time to time. In the previous episode, it was brought up that John may have had a hand in both the death of his older brother, Dan, as well as his father. What did Tanya think? So let's start with his brother. Mailing potent anesthetic drugs to a mechanic who has a drug problem is only going to go south. Now, even, and it, and, and his brother did not die based on everything I know from a vial of drugs that John sent him, but Danny probably used the drugs, worsened his addiction and, or sold those drugs for whatever drug he wanted. So I think John played a hand in his brother's addiction and eventual demise. Oh, my God. Chris Gofford's the one that told me, Tanya, did you know that uh, Donna thinks that John may have, you know, sped up the father's death when he was in hospice? And I was like, no, that was in 1997. And I learned about it in like 2017. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, you know, maybe someone should have told me that but you know it was just a suspicion it wasn't proof but there again intuition gut feelings donna wouldn't have had that feeling if it wasn't accurate in right. my opinion uh, you know basically what i was told was that the father you know did have a terminal illness but was expected to leave uh live some weeks uh uh, he certainly wasn't expected to die that day. And he's left alone with John for five to 10 minutes and he's dead. Right. And John had access to, you know, potent anesthetic drugs that obviously he was capable of using in a um, immoral and uh, unethical and illegal way. Um, I think 
I would say with almost certainty that he did something to speed his father's death, especially also, uh, you know, Donna said that he was anxious to get the money and have the estate settled. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that mental health and self-care are taking more of a front seat these days. Therapy has helped me when I felt overwhelmed and needed to sort some things out. Maybe you're feeling more stressed lately or like you're struggling with work or personal relationships. However you're feeling, you deserve to be happy and to know that there is no shame in therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy. In under 48 hours, you could be communicating with a therapist by phone, live chat, or video if you're comfortable. Now is a good time to invest in yourself and see what online therapy is all about. And special offer to Method and Madness listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash method and madness. That's betterhelp.com slash method and madness. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Tanya doesn't have all of the answers. She can only guess as to why John was who he was, why he chose to live the way he did. She describes him as a thrill seeker, someone who sought a lot of dopamine. One of the biggest questions that have come out of the story of Dirty John is why, being a liar, a manipulator, a psychopath, why would he choose to be married for 10 years? What was his goal? I do think he also was attracted to me and my family. I think there were parts of him that uh, I'm sure in the creation of Dirty John, you know, through the years as he was creating this monster that he was becoming, that he did probably wish maybe that it wasn't happening, that he had had a normal life. I mean, I don't know. I'm just presuming. And he did like that. I had this nice family unit where everybody was, you know, normal and got along and there was love and support and all those things. Um, But that's just a guess too. She's tried to process what was it in John's background. There's always that question that comes up in true crime, nature versus nurture. And it's not that black and white. It can and often is a combination of both. John had told Tanya that he was once hit by his mother, and there were clues that it was caused by John revealing something to her, confiding in his mother. Tanya talks about this. You know, one unanswered question that just came to my mind about John is that John told me that he was sexually molested by his brother, the one he provided the drugs to. The, the older brother. The older brother and his brother's friend. Now, he told me that at a time where he was distracting me from another issue we, that we were having. So it may have been a ploy and a distraction. It may have been a moment of honesty that actually explains a lot, in my opinion, Because I think someone who's molested as a child, especially by someone who's supposed to love you and be your brother and care for you, can probably really mess you up and lead to all kinds of, um, you know, devious things and deviant behavior. And and, um, so 
his his family thinks that didn't happen, but isn't it possible that it did and it was a family secret? Of course. Is, is this what John told his mom that his mom, you know, slapped him, you know, that he told Mark? Um, I don't know. And I don't, and she's dead. So I can't ask her. And I didn't know when she was alive to, to be able to ask her. And of course she never divulged anything like that to me, but she might not have wanted to. The other question I get asked frequently is, do you think John loved you or this was a game from the beginning? And again, I don't think that a psychopath is actually capable of true love. <laughs> I think that the fact that he lied for me from the moment we met and let me marry him, not knowing who he was, that is not love. Um, so I think mostly I would say maybe he thought he did, but he didn't. With John Meehan, it was all about survival, surviving each day. There's no long-term goal. Tanya learned from Laura Richards that someone like Dirty John will use and abuse you for as long as they can. If they grow tired of you or you start to get your voice back, they move on. After listening to Tanya's podcast, I asked her what was the most shocking revelation about John. There were obviously tons of things, but... The two that really stood out was, one, the degree of John's infidelity. It had been a constant in their marriage. Tanya, when she was pregnant with Emily, she was home and John was off with another woman. When Tanya was supporting him through school, he was sleeping with his instructors. None of this Tanya knew at the time, and it left her shook that he got away with it for so long and that so many people had covered for him. And then in 2020, four years after John Meehan died, Tanya got the news that Emily and Abigail have a sibling, a half-brother who was born in 1990. Of course, the other thing that stands out that was so shocking, but not so shocking, is that now that another child has come forward, um, and uh, is a sibling to my children, and that he had a relationship with her like two months before we got engaged. And we had been monogamous. <laughs> I had been monogamous for almost a year at that point. And he is sleeping with someone else, gets her pregnant, plans an abortion. They don't have it. I don't know if he knows the child was born or not. Um, and finding that out just as I'm starting to record the podcast. Holy hell, right? And it's not that child's fault. And he's not a child. He's a 30-year-old man, you know? And so I had to process all of that. My children have had to process that. He's a very sweet person. He is not Dirty John Jr. He's got a lovely mom. He seems to be a great kid. Um, he does look very much like John. I didn't even really need the DNA test, but of course... I really needed to do it because everyone would have asked me if I'd done that. But um, a split screen of him and John at the same age, they look exactly alike to me. So, yeah, those were those those, those were the hardest things for me. 
When I listened to Tanya's podcast, I could hear the emotion in her voice when she received this news. Even with John officially out of her life, he was still delivering punches, revealing more and more about who he really was and what her marriage really was. Is there anything you want to tell anybody might be listening that might be dealing with coercive control or living with a manipulator? Anything you'd like to say? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I I think I heard this statistic today that more than half of people don't even know they're in coercively controlling relationships. So I think if you're hearing that word and you, you know, a little gut feeling instinct is going off, read about it and, and, and learn about it. And if you need to get out, uh, learn about how to make a safe plan to get out of that relationship. Abuse isn't only just physical and sexual. Um, And I hope, one of my biggest hopes by sharing my story is that I take the shame away from this type of situation because it is embarrassing. I mean, God, I gave 10 years of my life and dedicated everything and put him through school and I didn't even know the first thing about him, honestly. <laughs> and that can be embarrassing. And it can be embarrassing that your husband's not treating you right and no one knows. So tell somebody and make a safe plan and don't be ashamed. It's probably happening to people all around you. And when I was honest and open about what was happening to me, I didn't really get judgment. I got open arms and support, and that support was very much needed uh, to get me through, you know, emotionally through this whole ordeal. If you want to know more, the podcast that Tanya produced is called The First Wife, and it's available on Audible. A subscription is required, but there's an option for a free 30-day trial. There are bonus episodes, and Laura Richards breaks down coercive control and goes through the psychopathy checklist. I don't get paid for telling you to listen, but I will tell you that it is compelling, and uh, Tanya really goes into a lot about her life with Dirty John. Thank you to Tanya Bales for sharing your story with me. You are lovely, and it was a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for listening to Method and Madness. This is an independent podcast. If you'd like to show your support, you can leave a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. It makes the show more visible for new listeners. I'm on Twitter at MethodPod and on Instagram at Method and Madness Pod. There's a Method and Madness page on Facebook as well. To chat or discuss the episode, reach out to me at Method and Madness Pod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is researched, written, and hosted by me. It is sound edited by Mo and Spo. Thank you to Faith and John of the Mission Rejected podcast and to Rohan for lending their voices for the theme music. Method and Madness is a true crime podcast that discusses dark and disturbing subject matter. For crisis support, text HELLO to 741-741.